how did Santa get the vaccine? And is it safe for him to go in the house? Will Santa still be able to visit me in coronavirus season? What if he can't go to anyone's house or near his reindeer? Well, I have to say I took care of that for you because I was worried that you'd all be upset. So what I did a little while ago, I took a trip up there to the North Pole. I went there and I vaccinated Santa Claus myself. I measured his level of immunity and he is good to go. He can come down the chimney. He can leave the presents. He can leave and you have nothing to worry about. Santa Claus is good to go. I'm your host, Thomas, and today we have a full panel of people. We have, uh, yeah, yeah, we've got Elias is back. How you doing, man? Doing good, doing good, guys. Uh, we've also got Sam this week. Hey, good to be here. JJ's joining us. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> and this week we have uh, another guest uh, from another podcast uh called abs in a six pack uh today's guest is chris how you doing man doing good good to be here you want i've listened to yeah, every episode to... of analyze so i have i have thoroughly analyzed analyzed <laughs> i have not listened to every episode of abs in a six pack because you have a lot more episodes than we do um and, and some, some of them really are long ones yeah, some of them are way too long, really yeah. long. <laughs> do you want to do you want to kind of give us uh, some background about what your show is about Oh man. Uh, well, we started kind of early 2020, so it's still a fresh, fairly new show. But man, we we try not to lock ourselves down to anything. But and my two co-hosts have been kind of sparse the last several episodes. But it started off with three of us, and we're all naturally conspiratorial minded. So we have a lot of episodes on that. Like early on, we did a two part episode on Bill Gates. Um, but I mean, we just did a whole episode about poop. So, uh, did a whole episode about <laughs> dreams not too long ago. Uh, just did an episode on uh, molecular science today. So, kind of all over the place, but definitely conspiracy heavy because that's what's fun to us. So, what what really initially got you into conspiracy theories? Uh, <clears throat> probably my first red pill is with a lot of people was JFK for sure. Um. Actually, did a whole like thorough book report, like above and beyond the Call of Duty in sixth grade, with printed out documents, witness reports, and everything. And that that to me is like the first puzzle piece that makes everything else fit. Because when you realize that within two years of the assassination, 177 witnesses, Dallas PD eyewitnesses, journalists, all died in single car crashes, suicides. Some people got shot multiple times. It was ruled a suicide. When you realize how big of a scope that is um, and that 
I think anybody that honestly looks at it, it, you're not being honest with with yourself if you don't think that the CIA wasn't involved. And then Lyndon Johnson ordering the limo to be destroyed or refurbished rather to uh, get rid of all the evidence the next day. Um, And I mean, there's that's a JFK is a 10 hour show, but that's that's the big red pill, I think, that a lot of people have had. And recently, I think a lot of people, the red pill was Jeffrey Epstein, the cameras malfunctioning and this guy that was friends with Kevin Spacey, Bill Clinton, Bill Gates, um, Trump in, in a smaller way, it seems like, was close friends with Epstein early on, even though he informed on Epstein to the FBI. So like when the, the most high profile criminal in the most secure prison in the United States dies and the cameras malfunction, a lot of people, their brains kind of melted. And that's why we had so many people fall for the queue nonsense, which was you realize that there's a bunch of elite banker, billionaire pedophiles that run things. And so you think like, oh, everybody must be a pedophile, Satan worshiping pedophile. And the Q thing took off. Melted people's brains. (laughs) Would you say that you're you're fairly open to conspiracy theory ideas in general? Um, if, If the evidence is convincing to me. Now, there's some that I don't believe, but I like to pretend like I believe like the lizard people one. It's like, I've seen no evidence of this, yeah. really, but it's a fun theory, and it makes sense it is kind as of a fun one. why all these elites are trying to get us to eat bugs worldwide. Like, you see all these articles, like, <laughs> cockroaches' milk is actually really healthy. It's like, yeah, lizards <laughs> would like something like that to be on the menu. But So, one of the things that um, you had sent me, the uh, like, the pandemic videos a few times, and uh, I had noticed just from some of the content on your show, you talked a bit about... Uh, like the uh, COVID-19 and uh, mass mandates and, and sort of some of those things that it sounded like probably we would disagree with some of the things that uh, you've expressed on your show. And that was some uh, some of what it sounded like uh, Sam and JJ were curious uh, to hear from you about. Um, I was kind of curious uh, what, what your take on COVID-19 and uh, vaccines and masks and kind of that whole ordeal is. Um, well, can we back up for a minute before we get into COVID and do maybe like, because I'm curious about what you guys think, like, what do you guys agree? Because you, you to, to understand my and a lot of people's position on Trump, COVID, all the current day stuff, you mm-hmm. need like an understanding of um the lens like the, everything is about the lens that you look at the world through right like um no agenda right. and scott adams have talked a lot about dimension a and dimension b where half the country or both the whole country is watching the same screen uh-huh. and half the country's seen one movie half the country's seen another movie because of their interpretation oh, yeah. of it so it's like we live in two realities right yeah exactly so maybe more to i i would argue that 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 form of like you thinking about uh, viewing history through the lenses of like media or whatever being like a, a two dimension thing. I think it's far bigger than that, though. I yeah. think it's uh, uh, like every brain on the planet is different. And so every perception like we cannot duplicate anybody else's perception. Do You get what I'm saying? Like I can't fully know how somebody else perceives what information they missed, 
when yeah. they're getting a report or or I mean yeah we're all, we're all going to have different right. you know, slightly different takes on things but largely so I, it, I kind of view that we're we're very polarized into two large camps yeah. overall yeah. right the, now the, the two bit it comes to a very big two right and now if, and if any two people uh, if any two people agree with each other on every issue that probably means oh, yeah. those two people are in some kind of cult <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, so probably yeah, <laughs> maybe. Um, so, wait, sorry, sorry I lost sorry. my train of thought. Um, oh, yeah, uh, we we're talking about why my my background of what lens I'm looking through COVID at. So, right, right. The when when you uh, th- things like JFK, nine eleven, especially where you know Donald Rumsfeld's on TV on C-SPAN on September tenth, two thousand one, and says the Pentagon can't account for $2.1 trillion or 2.3, I think it was actually. And then the next day, a plane that somehow couldn't get captured on video because I guess the Pentagon doesn't have any good security cameras blows up the accounting section of the Pentagon. So when you, when you take a, a, um, when you're looking at, when you already know all this stuff or at least are aware of it and someone like Trump gets elected, you really don't get your panties in a wad or freak out or, you know, clutch your pearls or start hand wringing because the orange man's president and uh that that's that that's um something that plenty of people i know have gone off the deep end over um is just the trump presidency but also at the same time trump has opened people's eyes to how much the media lies even if people don't like trump they acknowledge uh well there's this lie that he said nazis were very fine people you've heard that parroted over and over or he never uh, he never condemned white supremacy. So, well, that's the thing. Um, if I remember that that speech correctly, he 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 kind of had to get backed into condemning white supremacy. But when he did, he immediately equivocated it with with Antifa um, to pr- kind of try to put them on par with each other when they're actually not the same. But the, there was a very immediate equivocation, and that happens every time. Uh, he tries, you know, anytime he he uh, condemns white supremacists or Nazis, he immediately brings up Antifa. Yeah. Um, well, the, so the, it's, ac- it's the actual like it's quote in that, with the very fine people quote, literally within the next sentence or two, he says, and quote unquote, and I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis or white supremacists because they should be condemned totally. Now, right. I'm not and then here to defend that, Trump necessarily. Yeah, you're right about that. I'm not here to defend Trump necessarily. Right. It more is to say, um, well, I do think he's probably the closest thing to a good president that we've had since John F. Kennedy, but he was still a really shitty president. So, um, <laughs> but the, anyway, um, the point I'm trying to make is that the, the lens that um, a lot of people who get criticized as being, you know, um, anti-maskers or anti-vaxxers, a lot of these people are looking at this from a totally different perspective with different priorities, usually pro-freedom priorities than mm-hmm. other people. So when it comes to um, the masks, I, I am not an anti-masker. I am a wear a mask if you want kind of person. See, um, I, I view that as a pro-freedom thing too, but right. I view it a little differently in that I think that people should have the freedom to be able to exist within society without being subjected to an unnecessary risk. 
Well, there's people that argue um, that wearing a mask for prolonged periods of time is is an unnecessary risk. Even Dr. Fauci himself pinned a paper uh, citing prolonged mask wearing as a cause of bacterial pneumonia. So it, it's it, now, it's really like there's no clause in the Constitution for pandemics. Um, but I think even if these fake bumped up numbers were 10 times worse than they apparently are like 300,000 deaths or whatever. Even if it was 3 million deaths, that's still not a, a cause for small businesses to be shut down and people to lose their livelihoods because of a virus. So <clears throat> I, I, I want to clarify some, some of my perspective here. So I come from, from a science background. Uh, I was not a big when Trump was elected. I really didn't care. It was not until this pandemic broke out in the handling of said pandemic uh, was essentially fumbled. So um, my critique of the Trump administration really begins in 2019, rolling into 2020. Um, uh, the masks, the, ma the mask issue in and of itself, while I understand the freedom argument, we also have to come at this from a social responsibility argument. Uh, we have plenty of laws in place as precedent to promote social responsibility i.e you don't drink and drive i mean is it my freedom to go out and get drunk get behind the wheel of a car and then harm somebody so when we look at at the mask issue i i believe that as an individual in the united states of america it is my job to help protect those who are immunocompromised um it's a simple thing you wear a mask, you socially distance, and we slow the spread of the illness, ultimately negating the need to shut down businesses. Whereas when you have a novel virus that appears out of nowhere with limited information, you have to take drastic action until you know enough about the disease in order to lift restrictions. So uh, that's just uh, my perspective and lens on this. I think, I mean, that makes sense. And a lot of people feel that way. Um, the problem is even the UN admits that tens of millions of people extra than what is normal have already starved to death because of these lockdowns. Um, it, uh, not worldwide, not just, not, I'm not obviously not talking about the United States, but um, then you have uh, Klaus Schwab and his outfit with the Great Reset saying that, and then like uh, politicians from all over the world saying, well, we can actually also lock down in the future just like this to help save the climate. Klaus Schwab and the Great Reset with the World Economic Forum. You've got the CEOs of like Mastercard and Bank of America and Prince Andrew, or yeah, Prince Andrews, and um, Bill Gates and all these guys saying, "Yeah, this we're going to reset the economy, do a global currency." Uh, the North American Union documents that were leaked a long time ago talk about using Disease X is what they call it in those documents to uh, shut down economies and create a centralized currency. Uh, the Rockefeller Foundation's operation or no project lockstep is what the document's entitled, which uh, is linked on my website. It talks about a, a virus where China does very well, locks down the whole economy, and is used to usher in a police state globally. So that's the other thing about this is this this virus. We didn't know when it was coming, but the people that have been paying attention to this type of stuff knew that a mystery disease would be used to uh, usher in this type of thing and. And make the rich richer and the poor poor. Uh, American billionaires have doubled their wealth in the just in 2020 alone because small businesses are 
forced to be shut down while your Walmarts and your Taco Bells and your Amazons are at full capacity. Now, in the same respect, when we say we didn't know when this was coming, epidemiologists over the past 40 or 50 years have been sounding the alarm on zoonotic diseases uh, transitioning into the uh, human population. Uh, they run scenarios um, every few years just to run through what would happen in the event of a pandemic. So I can... Yeah, event 201. I mean, I understand that some of that seems, oh, well, there's something's going on. They know what's coming. But in the same respect, yeah, we know what's coming. There's a pattern. If you look at the history, we had the, you know, the Spanish influenza. We have the Ebola virus. Um, so what part, how much of this is just good preparation for a real probability versus some conspiracy to totally reset the global economy? And I think we're almost at two different levels where I'm looking at this at the at the micro level of protecting human life versus this huge macro situation that, that you're looking at. Do you guys remember who coined that phrase, the unknown unknown? Do you remember uh, Rumsfeld, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you don't. OK, well, here's. Don't get me wrong. I know the the conspiracy world is hell bent on these big guys. Okay, I understand why everything's highly suspicious and highly suspect. But what if these guys are genuinely try focused and concerned on uh, not only making a shit ton of money, but uh, ensuring that they continue to make a shit ton of money for every member of their family, so on and so so forth for the next millennia? Bloodlines. Uh yeah, well, yeah, but here's the thing. Why necessarily is it likely that all of their ideas are bad? Because I'm pretty confident if you t if you go hunt that unknown unknown, uh, they've probably hired some of the smartest people in the world to work on figuring out what the unknown unknowns are. And one of them would be something like global warming. This is something that it may not be fully. There may be things that lean it one way or the other may, may be things that make it look real bad and make it look not so bad. But if it does go bad, it will be infinitely bad. And same thing with, um, possible pandemics. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely. There's, I don't think any, well, I mean, sure, some people, some people are arguing this, but I don't think anybody's saying that billionaires are all bad. Um, I mean, even Bill Gates gives to charities, right? But uh, it's weird. Well, I don't want to jump too far ahead into vaccines because I'm sure we'll get to that. So I'll save that one. But it was weird when doc, uh, Dr. Fauci in 2015 said there's no doubt there will be a surprise outbreak during the Trump administration. Uh, it's certain to happen. It's like, what did he know? And then you look at Newsweek.com, Dr. Fauci backed controversial Wuhan lab with U.S. dollars for risky coronavirus research. If you know anything about gain of function, what they do is they take an existing virus, make it more deadly, make it more communicable. Uh, the scientist lab made coronavirus triggers debate. That was from 2015. So um, what essentially happened is they outlawed gain of function research on coronaviruses and then Fauci 
had it moved to Wuhan with the NIH. And this was all going on in 2015. And there's articles from back then with scientists being concerned about it. Um, you have the Nobel Prize winner, um, French guy, I believe. What's his name? Um, I can't remember what his name is, but the no- uh, he discovered he got the Nobel Prize for discovering HIV. He's looked at it, says it was clearly made in a lab. Uh, Dr. Francis Boyle, who authored the U.S. Biological Weapons Treaty for the U.N. and has prosecuted more war criminals than anyone alive, as far as I know, says this was clearly a bioweapon that was created in a lab. So it's not crackpots that are espousing these. It's Nobel Prize winning doctors, lawyers, and there's hundreds of them. Well, even yeah, even really sorry. really smart people uh, followed Hitler. I mean, when it sure. came down to it, you know, just just because you have an academic background, you've got to look at the overwhelming amount of evidence that's out there before you can come to you know a, a conclusion. And thus far, I mean, even I initially uh, thought, okay, this is if it wasn't engineered, it was at least released from the Wuhan lab accidentally because they were studying it there. And I still think that that may be a possibility. Was that done? You know, with malice, uh, I I don't know. And when it comes to this and the um, uh, gain of function testing, yes, it was temporarily paused in the United States in 2015 and offshored. However, it was also restarted uh, back on our soil once um, they deemed that the research was necessary. So, uh, and a lot of that is just learning how that virus functions so we can fight it. Uh, because obviously SARS-CoV, uh, COV-1, uh, was, was kind of a wake-up call um, for, you know, virologists everywhere who study epidemics because it's something we had never seen before. And then we had an outbreak of MERS that followed that. And now we have COV-2, which is uh, an entirely different uh, virus in the COVID family. So that's what I wanted to bring up is uh, you mentioned that it it seems suspicious that Fauci would mention that there was a uh, a possibility of a surprise infectious outbreak or that there would be a surprise infectious outbreak. Um, That doesn't seem surprising to me, being as we have a history of surprise infectious outbreaks that aren't terribly uncommon. (laughs) That's fair. Right. And what's interesting about that is with the H1N1 swine, uh, I think it was swine, yeah, swine flu under the Obama administration, they, uh, and I, I believe there's been several apologies from that administration and the CDC for this, but. They handled it very improperly, but since it wasn't the orange man in office, the media uh, toned down the rhetoric on it, and they just stopped testing and stopped reporting on cases, whereas this is like, oh, cases, cases, cases. It's been nothing but cases for all of 2020. Before we look at that, before we look at that, you agree, though, that knowing that infectious, like, unique and novel infections aren't extremely uncommon... Makes that less unsurprising to make a comment like that. You would agree that makes sense, right? Yeah, uh, but the fact that he was funding gain of the Wuhan lab when he, at the time he said that makes me a little suspicious. Well, the Wuhan lab. Yeah, that's Newsweek.com. Doctor Fauci backed controversial Wuhan lab with U.S. dollars for risky coronavirus research. Like, but coronavirus research was a hot topic because of COVID one. Yep. Like it, right. I would. Wouldn't you expect some scientific interest in coronaviruses after that incident? I mean, sure. 
Um, like, especially if you're trying every... to. It, it, another thing you have to look at with confidence uh, up. Another thing to, that's interesting to look at is Dr. Fauci's wife, who um, is one of the top officials who approves vaccine efficacy, and then Fauci's connections with Moderna, who's he's getting a lot of uh, money per per well. He's getting a certain amount of money per vial of the Moderna vaccine. Um, can we play some? I wonder if there's a way for me to send these to you, Thomas. Can, I, can we hear a little bit of Dr. Fauci? Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure if I can pipe that in uh, on the fly or not. We could maybe. Uh, I feel like we're 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 moving like we're slanting past the issues though when we talk yeah. about it like this, like. SARS-CoV-1 was a genuine infectious disease outbreak. So, the fact that someone that spent six decades in infectious disease research would have a vested interest in doing scientific research shouldn't surprise us. Right, but he he kind of (laughs) bumbled would be a huge understatement with the HIV crisis. Um, (laughs) You you can read open letters from the LGBT. How is that related to my point? Uh, as far as Fauci making money off of infectious diseases, HIV How was a big that one. related to my point? Wasn't your point about it would not being weird that Fauci would... I mean, it's, it's not weird when we see a new, unique infection uh, 15 years ago that we direct more money to it for scientific research. We should expect that. Especially we should expect that from an infectious disease expert. Um, it would be weird yeah. if he ignored it. Well, so, it's... so from your perspective, what would I say if, like, if Fauci had done nothing and had been totally uninvolved in this process, you might could say that Fauci was completely uninterested in this issue. Like, I feel like it's almost win-lose. Like, either Fauci, who is an infectious disease expert, is going to be invested in infectious disease, or... He's not, but since we have a history of infectious disease uniquely appearing, and then him following up and researching someone who has been in the industry for six decades, we shouldn't be surprised. But this shouldn't is, shouldn't should we be, be surprised where he was funding the lab that's the sp- suspected origin of it? See, I don't I don't think that that's that's surprising either because the gain of function testing began in the United States again. That was a part of trying to understand how the virus functions. Uh, and then when we shut that down because we weren't sure about the safety of the testing protocols, uh, they decided to offshore it to Wuhan because they have a vi- virology lab. The, the Wuhan lab is essentially uh, on par with our CDC facilities in the United States. So it is fully equipped uh, to perform this level of testing. And uh Back in, then in 2017, the U.S. actually lifted that moratorium after new guidelines were issued for experiments per the NIH. So it went to Wuhan, it came back to the United States in 17, and then you have a three-year gap before, you know, COV-2. Um, I, I don't think anything is, I mean, we're trying to, to piece something together that isn't there, in, in my opinion, because yes, New virus, dangerous to populations. We don't know how it functions. We need to do the testing. Uh, our testing avenues in the United States get shut down. We move it to China. 
uh, and then we eventually bring it back on shore. So I, I just I don't know how much is there to actually support this theory that COV2 is a man-made virus right. designed to reset the world economy and how all of these people. Well, I, I have uh, archived over the last year over 100 hours, probably closer to 120 hours of nurses, doctors, scientists. Uh, epidemiologists, virologists, immunologists, all of the same, uh, I mean, ver saying various things, but w within their own field of expertise. And I've heard a lot of experts talk about how even virologists saying, like, there, <laughs> there's first of all been, this virus has not been found in a bad as far as I can tell, but lots of virologists saying this is way, viruses don't evolve or mutate this quickly. This did like a hundred years of of mutation within a couple of months is what the like the consensus. And I'm not an I'm obviously not a doctor of virologist, but I've compiled you know a plethora of different experts talking about this. And sure, there's experts talking about it on the other side. So the question is, it becomes who do you believe? And there's also a, a problem of false consensus created when you lose your funding. You lose your job, you're blacklisted, blackballed, and and censored from the internet when you're a doctor with an a dissenting view or a virologist with a dissenting view. We've had thousands and thousands of of health experts kicked off of all social media during this pandemic. So, it, it, and I do have a bit of anecdotal evidence that isn't related to COVID about this. My uh, family doctor in Ohio, Dr. Pickens, um, I wasn't going in, in in there for a terminal illness but we had there was all, there would always be people with like m miracle stories in the lobby where they were cancer free without chemo because of his work and stuff like that he was raided by a SWAT team they took all of his stuff all of his millions of dollars of equipment and he won in court and got his medical license back but there's definitely a uh, risk you take when you dissent from the you know narrative or the uh, in the medical yeah. field, especially. Wait, 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 because wait a you minute. Become, you, you are, are con then essentially conducting experiments oh, that are not hold up, though. Hold necessarily up, though. ethical. Yeah, hold up, though. <laughs> Which brings he us to vaccines. To buy a SWAT team? Hold up. Was he, tr he was trying to buy a SWAT team. What? No, no, no. He was swatted. Oh, okay. No, no, no. He, a SWAT team really took all his stuff. Know, but... Sorry if I misspoke there, but... Okay. Um, but yeah, we, no. We it, unethical medical experiments is what this coronavirus research that skipped all animal trials is it's actually a violation uh, of the Nuremberg code Nuremberg code uh technically speaking because it it has it's literally in we have no idea of the long-term effects of this thing it just got made that's why it gets emergency authorizations right yeah th 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 there's a couple things here so yeah. <laughs> it did go through all human clinical trial testing the same testing all all vaccines roll out under um and this vi this vaccine, the mRNA technology, has been in development for over 10 years. Uh, this also shows how when you redirect millions of dollars onto one subject. Um, hey, by the uh, way, that the, the doctor that's led the way in the Myrna stuff, mm -hmm. she also had a lot of her research buried. I, w I actually was talking to a guy who's uh, a very close friend of mine who's a, a head of a He's he has a very high level job in a hospital, um, and he was tell he was talking to me about the the vaccine. He's like, the lady who was studying the stuff 
people were throwing out her, her, uh, you know, the stuff she was trying to put out there. They were trying to bury it, cover it up. And that happens all wild. the time. And the, the, the reason that, and the reason that stuff happens is because there is so much money in the pharmaceutical industry. Um, and let's get, let's go to that later, but I, I didn't want to, I, I did want to mention, I mean, like we, if, when we're talking about conspiracy stuff, there are just as many, the thing that drives me crazy is there's just as many conspiratorial, you know, you can theorize on that stuff all day long, but there's just as many ways to look at it from a way that doesn't just kind of blindly follow the, uh, the right leaning conservative movement. Mm. Right. And, and the quote unquote anti-vax movement, which isn't really a real movement, was always like early in my life was a left wing thing like that. That didn't used to be a right wing issue. Well, but we've that, talked about that, that goes all this. over everything. Yeah. That's that every there are people uh, from every demographic. I mean, every demographic, the places you're going to find that anti-vax is most popular are in California and Texas. Right. And and so, part of the reason for th- I don't think that's really polit like you can't politicize it. It, it that. doesn't it crosses political lines for sure. Right, yeah, right. because you have uh, thousands and thousands and thousands of parents who will on talk about it and they're in tears when they talk about it. Their child was walking and talking and healthy and then after um the MMR vaccine is a big one, they they're they are dead in their eyes. They can barely walk, and they lose all speech. And they're just messed up. I, I mean, it's like you could say all those parents are the lying. Level of but of meta study, there massive meta studies have found no correlation between vaccination and autism. Sure, but massive Bill, meta studies. Yeah, but that no, goes there's back. No, like no, this is independent scientific organizations around this the world. This isn't a conspiracy. Yes, this is multiple international organizations independently doing research have done their own studies, and then meta-studies of those studies have not found a correlation between autism and vaccines. And, this and has been not, studied on hundreds of thousands of people. And we're not yeah, trying so to the, deny the experiences of, of these families because, right. yes, something did happen to their child. The question is, was it vaccines? And the evidence, every paper out there says, no, it was not. So just because it times well with the event occurring doesn't mean it happens. I could get a vaccine, go get hit by a car, and, you know, well, vaccines cause you to be hit by cars. You know, it's it's that. Yeah. Well, it's but like even, the- like, it's more predictable than that because it, you would notice those symptoms around the same time that people are getting vaccines. So there's, there's more of a pattern there uh, where people are recognizing that because of the timing. It's not just, uh, you know, a, a rare coincidence. It's just a more common coincidence. So people make that correlation. I, uh, Bill Thompson, who actually still works at the CDC, asked to be subpoenaed by Congress. And there's hours of phone conversation with him that was taped and documents that he released from himself. He was a senior um, scientist at the CDC. And he says they buried and covered up the link between vaccines and autism, specifically in black, little black boys was where it was the most common. Um, I'm extraordinarily comfortable going out on a limb and saying that he is factually mistaken. I agree. Yeah, I mean that's. Uh, I mean he's he. I think he's credible, but I mean that's. Uh, I'm again. I'm not yeah, a scientist. But over 1.2 mil- million children have been under ten different studies trying to show a relation between vaccines and autism, and. According to some of those studies, MMR vaccines may actually decrease the risk. 
<laughs> Isn't that that's hilarious? It's a decreaser. Uh, yeah, the, the MMR is a weird one because they actually had no safety studies listed. You remember like earlier in 2019 when it was like, oh, my God, the measles, oh, the, the measles, mumps. Oh, my God. It was like this big thing. It turns out their batch, Merck's batch of MMR vaccines was about to expire. And that's why there was this big news push because they had to sell those shots. But oh, that is that aside. um they had no safety studies listed for the MMR vaccine. Robert Kennedy Jr. actually had to sue and won in discovery, and their own studies showed that the shot was more deadly than having mumps or measles. Almost all the kids, it was like, what was it? I can't remember the percentage offhand, but a lot of them had long-term side effects for the full extent of the trial that were way worse than mumps or measles. Um, it's MMR is also, they have a monopoly on the, I mean, sorry, Merck has a monopoly on the MMR vaccine. And Merck is a company that has pled guilty in court to criminal negligence and causing the deaths of hundreds of thousands of Americans. They sold a headache pill, admitted in court that they deliberately covered up that it could cause a heart attack. And as a result of that, it's estimated 200 to 500,000 Americans died. So why would you want that company having a monopoly on the MMR vaccine? And also, thanks to Dr. Fauci and... Ronald Reagan, <laughs> vaccine manufacturers are not liable at all for any injury, illness, or death caused by their vaccines. So when people get called anti-vaxxers, it's really, as Robert Kennedy and a lot of other people have pointed out, it's just a way of shutting down the conversation because most of the people that get called anti-vaxxers are just saying, hey, I, one, don't want this mandated to me. I want to get it if I want it. And two, I want better safety studies and I don't want all these pharmaceutical companies to be completely like immune from any lawsuit regarding it. And they all are like immune from any lawsuits, even if you die from the shot since the eighties because of Fauci and Reagan. Why is that the case? Uh, well, it's a big money maker. You can actually see, uh, Merck had a, <laughs> Uh, what was it? They they had a meeting. I've, I haven't looked at this in a while. A lot of this I'm going from memory, but they had a meeting talking about if man if vaccines could be mandated, how in much their profit margin would increase. But you have to admit, uh, if you're a pharmaceutical company and you're you're can't you're not held liable for anything, you're going to be a lot less worried if, if yeah. it's if it's dangerous if you are not held liable in any way for the damages it causes. I'm gonna I'm gonna step back here. I don't think that that's the case, but I don't have data in front of me talking, going, you know, in depth as to, you know, the different legal justifications for the types of accountability that we've assigned to vaccine manufacturers, why we assigned, you know, just a national vaccine compensation fund versus other alternative legal options that were debated and talked about. But I do have a problem or at least I'm very, very skeptical of this idea already because I don't, like, you're making, like, when you make the claim that vaccines and autism are related, and I'm looking at 10 different studies that have been combined in a meta-study that covers 1.2 I... million children showing there's no relation, you you could understand why I begin having doubts about some of your other claims related to the same topic. I right? technically never did make that claim. I just brought up all the parents who say it and a doctor who says it. I well, never. No, if you're, if you're going to represent them as an open idea in the field of discussion, right. why would you do that and, and, and wonder if we should take 
take it seriously or not. The like picture we, I'm tr- it, trying it, to it, paint it, is is vaccines, it, vaccine, vaccines, vaccines should be ma- like not mandated. Um, and I'm not anti-vaccine. I think I would like. I, I when I have a kid, I'm at least give him the uh, you know the tetanus shot, the um, tuberculosis shot. I'm not anti-vaccine. I'm just saying. Especially this new one is like we have no idea what the long term effects of an mRNA vaccine are going to be. Well, you understand the cost of not vaccinating, right? Right. That's the thing. So everything. So when we in healthcare, there, there, you have to do risk assessment. So I had a stroke three years ago and I remember or not three years ago, two years ago. And I remember the doctor coming in and saying, we want to go in and do an angiogram. There is a risk you could have another stroke if you do this. Do you want to proceed? That's called informed consent. And I had to weigh that, that, you know, reality with the fact that if I don't do it, I could be in a worse situation. So, yes, anytime you are performing any sort of medical intervention, that includes taking Tylenol to receiving a vaccine to having a surgical procedure, you are taking a risk because there are absolutely no guarantees that it's going to be effective or that it's going to do what they say they do or there won't be an adverse effect. If we have studies and we go back and we look long term, we do these longitudinal studies that track outcomes and that's how we determine what the actual level of risk is. So uh, when the um, COVID vaccine was offered to me, I took it. I was one of the first in line to receive the Moderna. I've had both of my doses. I feel perfectly fine. Um, I'm not afraid of it because all it is is a bit of genetic material that tells my cells to produce a COV spike protein, and everything else is no different than what we put in the other vaccines. So I am confident in the science behind that vaccine, and that, that that's just the reality of, of scientific studies when it comes to medicine. Yeah, well, I mean, this, you, I, I, I'm not saying nobody should... In- Don't you also kind of have to factor in, um, you know, how effective it is if people just voluntarily opt in, uh, if nobody does, like with the mask mandates, um, you know, in places where uh, in the South where people are not doing it. I know in Tennessee, um, you know, you guys are having spikes right now uh, in places where people are following procedures. Would that not make that more effective? But if nobody chooses to do it voluntarily, then then what do you do then? Well, yeah, so but the, California is so densely populated. Right. <laughs> so what? That, this that's is a whole what different... I see. I see this, when this all started, when the mask mandates came out, I saw people saying, well, masks don't work and we're not going to do it. And then cases continued to climb. And it became a self-fulfilling prophecy because now they can say, oh, look, people were wearing masks and the and the rate of illness increased. But it increased because half of our population isn't taking this seriously and they are transmitting it to people who are following procedure but may come in contact with others or you know live with people um in close I mean, proximity like new zealand just had like a case again for the first time yeah, in for the well they're like an island <laughs> yeah. though and yeah it is that's the to point. their benefit, but you know, well, we are yeah. not an island, and we need to start treating our our, vac- our well, response. Don't you got to admit it's a little ridiculous what they're saying now? Is actually you should be wearing two or three masks. Who said that? Well, I've seen <laughs> that's the that's been all over the news the last week. Out. Yeah, yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, now, I mean, Fauci. Well, I mean, you can play the clip have... uh, if if you can. I can send it to you a Fauci on sixty minutes saying nobody should be walking around right now wearing masks. Uh, they're not going to help. They might make people feel better, but they're not going to help. 
And then uh, there's an. I got another clip pulled up early. Yeah, I got another clip of him pulled up saying that. He, that's not recent, though, is it? That was uh, March, April of 2020. Yeah, and that's then, way, way back. Sure, yeah, but then, like, but then two months we've later, we gained a lot more knowledge since then. But the point is, this is like people. one out of a hundred examples of Fauci lying through his teeth. No, says, no, no, he was mistaken. There's a difference. No, 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 because back I, at the beginning. We didn't understand all of how it worked yet, that we've even now made recommendations that maybe we don't have to take uh, as seriously, you know, uh, cleaning surfaces because it doesn't survive on surfaces as well as we initially thought. But masks have not. In fact, we've actually um, changed our opinion that masks are uh, far more important than we initially thought right at mm -hmm. the very beginning. And, and that's been been shown in, in See, that's the thing studies with... now that, that masks reduce transmi transmission rates. Are they perfect? No, nothing is going to be perfect. Until we get the vaccine deployed, this is going to be out there. Well, Fauci's um, saying even if you get the vaccine, you should still be wearing a mask. Yes, because we don't yeah. know if we have um, um, sterilizing immunity yet. My doctor, I, I very likely had it. My doctor told me that, you know, there's a very good chance that that's what I had in January that made me, you know, end up in the emergency room with months and months of severe daily multiple asthma attacks for months. Um, and because it's unknown, I asked my doctor, does that mean that, you know, I, I don't have to worry so much about getting it? And she said, you know, it's still fairly unknown i there's no way for you to know if you're actually immune or whether you can transmit it you basically still need to behave as though you haven't had it to be you know to err on the side of caution i also um, have a clip somebody of... go ahead sorry go ahead. i didn't mean to cut you off no no i was gonna say I, I, personally as somebody who suffers from asthma and has been you know fairly severely uh, impacted by this i went for a month where i was basically at home uh, and I didn't have to wear a mask. And then when I did have to end up going back to work, I wear one all the time. It doesn't make it any harder for me to function. And I have uh, a, you know, a, a pre-existing or a physical condition that would make it harder for me more than regular people. So it's kind of hard for me to feel sorry for people who just you know, freaking refuse to wear it because they like their freedom. That I think but that's one of the things that's most frustrating for me. It, the way the way a lot of people are looking at it, and I don't tend to disagree, is the mask is a symbol of submissive compliance to an establishment yes, yeah, that doesn't. Bullshit. Yeah, well, that's. Um, <laughs> but I, I was going to say bullshit. I do have a. I, why I also why have is a that a symbol of, of submissive compliance and a seatbelt law is not? To me, it's a symbol of respect for other people's fucking health. I mean, I would say a seatbelt law, most... law is too. Honestly, you should have your. You should legally have to have your kids well, strapped see, in, but not yours. But it is. It is see, a well, little. A it dehumanizes you. A seatbelt doesn't face, protect the people the around board. you. It protects it protects okay. you from the accident, but a mask doesn't protect you as much as it protects the protects people around you. Allegedly. So to me, it's it's just disrespectful. Wait, wait, do do we disagree still that in places that have instituted mask mandates, we have seen a trend of decreased transmission rates? Uh, that, I can show you guys. I've seen a lot of charts that would suggest the opposite, but that's. I mean, that's all based on how much you trust the data, right? Can, okay, can I approach something real quick? Yeah. Let's talk about a lot of the Fau Fauci inconsistencies and, and the inconsistencies in general. And let's, like, hear me out on this. We're having to do, regardless of what anybody believes, people are dying from this virus. This virus is highly contagious. Nobody wants to see... 
uh, a million people wiped off the face of the planet this year. <laughs> We're approaching it. Okay. Uh, I think the death toll is somewhere between 2 and 2.8 million now worldwide. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so here's the thing. With that in mind, dollars. with that in mind, there's a lot of people that have got to do a lot of science really fucking fast, and there's a lot of people that have got to do journalism really fucking fast. And the journalism pressures the science, pressures the government, because the government's the one giving all the information to, you know, the 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 media or otherwise. So there's a lot of pressure being put because whoever can get the most information the quickest is going to release it so they can see their ratings up. Okay, That's definitely true. With Well, obviously. But so that makes it highly likely that media companies are going to release information before it should be released. And then not only that, we have a president and people in his cabinet that want to release information or make blanket statements that are uh, probably not should be made yet. And he's about done Biden? it the whole goddamn... No, I'm talking about Trump. Because oh, we had I, a president. Uh, yeah, well, I'm <laughs> yeah, so right. P, I am so PTSD'd over Donald Trump <laughs> that I just can't, like, I'm still in Trump. Dude, <laughs> he's not president where you guys may be at, but he is president still here in... That was Iraq. the most fun four years of politics that we ever had. It was awesome. Um, not it was for like the, people the Super Bowl that did, every goddamn day. Well, it was not, so but, funny. Not for the people who directly were impacted by the presidency. I mean, you know, it's easy for but, for for me to sit here and say that, but well, what uh, about there were the, people that were negatively affected. What about the ex, ex uh, executive order that Trump signed, lowering the price of insulin and um, epipens, and wouldn't allow them to price gouge it? And Biden first day undid that executive order. Ooh, I'm, gl- I'm glad you asked about that. So yeah. this has to um, actually, it applies to what's known as 340B pricing, which is a special pricing that um, certain pharmacies get if they are serving a what's known as a disproportionate population. So they have a large proportion of low-income patients, and what it does is it allows these pharmacies, because their reimbursement rates are so low, to actually pocket some additional money to help maintain their operations. So what this... uh moratorium did was allow them to go in and actually better financially analyze the realities of such a decision. So what what uh, is going on is these rural health clinics, which are a vital lifeline uh, for communities, um, might not be able to continue operating uh, if they are passing on that cost savings directly to the patients that they serve, because uh, it's bypassing a whole reimbursement process. So that's really the reason it was paused, and they can either choose to you know let it proceed in a couple months or or modify it. So that's really all that is, and it's been blown out of proportion. My understanding is there's it also was a uh, there was a lot of middlemen companies that don't do anything but ship it. Like and th- that was they were price gouging as well, and that ended that it wasn't just local clinics. Right. Well, as as a, as a diabetic who has to pay substantial dollars for insulin myself, um, and I've worked with low income communities, and and the struggle is very real to get insulin to patients. Um, I hope that we can work something out that benefits all parties. Uh-huh. Um, because it, it is a significant issue. Uh, Sam, do you know population. anything about uh, uh, like the the companies that are involved with 
a lot of the diabetes medicines like uh Eli Lilly for, Eli for Lilly. Yep. Yeah. Um who's who's who was Trump's HHS or was it HSS? I don't know. It's HHS. Um, yeah, who is his HHS? I don't know off the top of my head. Look it up. He was he was over Eli Lilly for, oh, really? for a long time. There was a lot of pressure on Eli Lilly, and they actually launched a um, special access line, essentially, for patients who are struggling with insulin. Um, it allows them to get their prescriptions cheap. And there's a, here's, here's another thing that I have um, a lot of hesitations and frustrations with about this whole kind of like pointing at all the vaccine makers and, and saying there's something really bad going on here. Meanwhile, the last, what, 10, 15 years, there has been a opioid pandemic in the country, or Bingo. opioid epidemic in the country. Before that, what was it? Crack cocaine. Who brought crack cocaine in? The CIA. The gov- yeah, the government. Who brought in the, the opioid crisis? Purdue and a bunch of other pharmaceuticals. Some of the fa- actually yeah. it was some of the same pharmaceutical companies that manufacture vaccines. Well, there also is a, a lot that uh, that are involved with the Trump administration that are tied into opioid. Tons of them, and Eli Lilly also is one of the bigger antidepressant companies. So before we go, and we're like everybody's there's like this trend of anti-vax stuff. Meanwhile. A lot of people are missing the scramble that's going on in the pharma world where the opioid companies are, you know, paying out giant settlements. Right. Because I I, I find it highly likely that there might be a lot of um, spooky things involved going on with, with COVID. But I think it's probably more likely that a lot of it was triggered to uh, put money where uh, Donald Trump... And several other big figures want to put it. Well, there. I mean, there's definitely that's definitely true about the the opioid crisis. Um, I think Adderall and antidepressants, especially Adderall to children and those type Ritalin, are criminally overprescribed. Um, doctors are in jail for, and pharmaceutical companies have been fined for bribing yeah. people to prescribe that. But the, here's the difference. Here's why people are not so up in arms about antidepressants and opiates and all that. There's no talk of mandating that to you. You are not forced to take that pharmaceutical product. Vaccines are the only ones that are they don't immune from liability and also <laughs> are being talked to. about being forced. They so just don't have to. That, that brings me around to, to really the question I want to ask. Because you. those are addictive it, and ma- vaccines aren't. Well, and actually, uh, Sam... Uh, uh, I, we, we had talked about this before was the kind of the consequence of not like the risk of taking it versus not. Uh, do you have a, a take on that? Yeah. So we know what the long-term effects of COVID are. It's been around long enough that we can see if you get a COVID infection, you could be long-term end up on long-term disability, um, long-term fatigue, heart damage, brain damage, stroke, um, uh, kidney damage it's a it's a nasty bug that we still don't have our heads wrapped around 100 percent there's no doubt that this virus has killed 400,000 americans Uh, it's got a mortality rate of around 99 
percent on average, but among the elderly, that drops to a ninety, your ninety five percent. So, the only way we hit herd immunity, and I think everyone will agree here, is either you get the vaccine or you catch COVID. Your risk with a COVID infection is far higher than anything we're seeing adverse event-wise with the vaccine. So why would you oppose mandatory vaccination um, in the face of that reality? Um, Because that is a a mandatory, any medical product is the opposite of informed consent. Uh, Consent being the key word there. You also, I, I mean, Why the doctors and nurses, consent? I know I know more nurses than doctors, but like the few doctors I know and the nurses I know and the people I know in the health field, not one of them are taking the Pfizer or the Moderna. Um, I know in certain states, it's as many as 60 to 70 percent of nurses are not planning on taking it um, because a lot of them have seen the firsthand effects of vaccines, I would argue. But uh, and then what's what's the lowest demographic as far as uh, plant you keep ter- you keep. Uh, vaccine hesitancy is the phrase you keep hearing. The main demographic that has "quote unquote" vaccine hesitancy hesitancy is the African American community because they know their history and they know about the Tuskegee experiment and a handful of others similar to it, where people were told they were being vaccinated and they were intentionally injected with live syphilis as part of an experiment. I, f- I feel we've left the question behind, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah we did. We kind of jumped off because part of that is uh, our good points, but we did kind of. Uh, Evade the question, if you will. Like, the question is, like, there are real harms from the viruses that we vaccinate against. Like, meaningful harms that you, by not getting vaccinated, become a threat to other people. Like, you're talking about the MMR vaccine. The reason we vaccinate against, one of the reasons we vaccinate against rubella is because and if mothers have rubella, it is a risk to a third in the third trimester to their pregnancy, like a serious risk. Is it fair to force that risk on children? Like to a child in the third about, trimester, right? If if the mother has rubella, it is a danger to the fetus. Well, the UK government and even Fauci himself said women who are pregnant or are planning on getting pregnant should not take this vaccine. I must have. I was talking about rubella. Okay, this but- vaccine, this uh, this vaccine, has different health risks, but those health risks are meaningful to people that aren't the people getting the vaccine. Vaccine. There are consequences to demanding your freedom. That comes with a cost of life. Yeah, but there, and there, consent? there is a there is a reason that informed consent is accepted, a moral reason. Like inf- informed consent isn't this, you know, great be all deontological argument for truth. It's just a thing that we tend to like. There, there are there are reasons that we prefer it in many situations, but it's not as if there's some law in the universe that says if you don't have informed consent, you should never have to experience this. That's not a thing. That's actually the Nuremberg Codes, exactly what they are. Uh, uh, that uh, again, the Nazis were testing vaccines on on concentration camp uh, victims. Never, are, we, we vowed as a, as as the UN treaties uh, Nuremberg Codes. We vowed never again would we allow anyone to be. Uh, have any medical procedure without their consent. 
is my understanding of the Nuremberg Code. It's all, it's also the basics of all healthcare ethics. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to say that informed consent is not important. However, at an individual level, when you have to make that decision, why are you more willing to get COVID than the vaccine itself? And more willing to spread COVID? Yes, potentially. That, yeah. Well, the the, the, uh, the Moderna and Pfizer vaccines uh, both like they both admit that it won't stop you from spreading it. That's literally all. We don't know that yet. But they, they say they can't, they, they can't claim it because they don't know. I've got the vaccine right, information kind of sheet the, right here. Um, which is why they're still recommending social distancing and yeah, mask wearing, which people are also refusing to do. But right. if they, they're so, saying you might have to take it every year, Fauci and uh, mm-hmm. what his buddy were saying that. Yeah, so like if the they can't shots. tell if it's going to work for a whole year, how can they possibly know what the long-term side effects will be 10 years down the road? There, I don't understand what the long-term side effects would be because it's nothing more than a piece of uh, RNA wrapped in a lipid envelope. That's all it is. It's not even as advanced as an influenza virus in terms of we're actually going to inject you with a virus particle. You're using uh, your yeah, own cells antibodies. To, to, produce, to produce that COVID spike. Um and then the mRNA degrades and it's no longer usable uh, by the body. So uh, it's not at all how I've I heard honest- it. Ex- I've heard it explained by, I mean, doctors in a much scarier way that it's literally altering your DNA at the cellular level, which it does not. Yeah, that's not been, true. That's been. I mean, you're you're pig on talking about media influence, and you're expressing your your influence by media that may not be right. you know accurate. Yeah, no, I think that's a problem with everybody. Um, not just like any, any it's like we all you, it's easy to go to www.imcorrect.com to find <laughs> what you want to see and we all i think i think all of all five of us would admit that we've done that before but um are you able to get any of the clips i've uh, sent you on the twitter dms there thomas oh sorry. i did I'm send not, the I'm uh, not linked i'm not linked on twitter on my computer it's only on my phone oh okay well uh, maybe I could email them to you, but I've got the, uh, I sent you the link to law.cornell.edu where it talks about the, uh, I mean, bylaws where, we are, um, where, where we vaccine are manufacturers hour, are not, so uh, allowed to. I don't to. know that we have time to play many clips just because of, uh, time, uh, right, right. with the five of us, there's a lot of conversation and I want to try to keep today's show around an hour, hour and a half or so. And we're already at that one hour mark. So I, I do want to kind of be careful for time, but. Gotcha. Well, I, you I mentioned was mentioned the Nuremberg codes a bunch. Why? Why? Like those aren't a law. I think uh, there's a UN treaty. It's not a. It's. I, I believe it's a UN no, treaty. The, it's not a law. The UN treaty that refers to it is Article Seven of the Universal Declaration of Bioethics and Human Rights. Mm-hmm. Um, it's more of an agreement that, than a law. And and that agreement includes the right to vaccines. The right to vaccines, not the right to force vaccines. Now, it doesn't exclude that, though, that I'm seeing. And even if it did, it is an agreement. What we are talking about is the moral, what I was talking about is the moral important, the moral weighting of informed consent versus the risk from not vaccinating in a mandatory fashion. Right, because aren't morals kind of circumstantial? Like, you know, in one circumstance, an action might be very immoral, but in another circumstance, that same action can actually be the moral thing to do. Um, so uh, you kind of have to you kind of have to approach it that way, too. Right. Now, I'm as, as passionate as I am about 
you know, people getting the vaccine. I'm not a big fan of violating informed consent. I believe that as a society, we should make it very painful for people who do not get the vaccine, such as your kid cannot go to school here if you are not vaccinated. Um, And, you know, obtain compliance that way. If you want to participate in society, you've got to play by the rules of society. But I don't believe we should be mandating that every American get vaccinated because I do understand some people just don't want it. And and I can I can, you know, compromise on that. And, I don't and some people might not be able to. Right. Like That's right. there are people with immune. Uh, like, which immune is why it's all the more important for people who can to get it. To so that get those it. Right. Are, Even are, Fauci's saying people that are prone to severe allergic reactions don't take it. Or if you do take it, make sure right. you're like at somewhere where they can treat you for that. Um, yes, and that's sure. kind of standard knowledge with all of you know medical uh, uh, intervention. Is if you if you're known to have a, you know some sort of negative reaction to it, then you shouldn't. And those people are particularly um, reliant on everybody else to comply, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, so what it's a my body, my a... choice thing. For I think it's just like uh, you wouldn't. So, what about when half the country decides that they just want to make the the wrong choice? Then what? But who decides what the wrong choice is? Well, I would would argue 400,000 deaths would be... Yeah, that's the wrong choice. You know, ignoring the COVID virus and letting it run its course naturally. We can't ask those people's opinions because they're dead now, but I would think that they would prefer not to be dead, right? Right. But you could say that about people that have died from vaccines or died from anything. It's like you can't... Which is significantly less... Like substantially less. Uh, do you, yeah, I do. You do kill but you one admit that you kill a thousand. <laughs> Would you admit that uh, the COVID the, numbers are highly exaggerated or inflated? No, no. they're not. They're not. Uh, um, I since we can't play I clips, I'll just uh, this. since we can't play. Well, what happened to the flu numbers? How come there's like no flu cases? Because the flu is less transmissible uh, than, <laughs> than, than COVID, and the and yeah, and the but we had way more flu cases in 2018 and 2019. Than we well, do now, yeah, and and we weren't in a right. lockdown and using masks as part of social right. policy. We, like we these have, things so impact multiple diseases. We're right. flattening the curve essentially for the flu it's by true. trying to flatten the curve for COVID. Two weeks to flatten oh. the curve. Um, so I have a I, I I can't play the clip I guess, but I had uh, Doctor Burks. Well, first of all, there's multiple news reports from coroners across the country saying this guy died of an alcohol overdose or this guy died in a car crash i labeled it as such and they still counted it as a covid death so coroners are getting pissed doctors are getting pissed about that but then i also have a clip of dr burks herself saying anyone who dies no matter any cause what the cause of death is we count that as a covid death that's from dr burks own mouth so i just i mean and at a certain point you like with that so that doesn't line up though that doesn't line up if we look at the ex- excess deaths in 2020 versus previous mm-hmm. years being around 300,000 people more than would have been predicted and what, what we expected to see and us also having attributed 300,000 deaths to COVID. That number lines up almost perfectly. Perfectly. You can't, you can't um, beat the statistical analysis on this because we can predict with fair accuracy how many Americans are going to die every year. So that's why we have this excess death thing. So yeah, we can nitpick. I'm sure there's a few that are miscounted in that 400,000, but the excess deaths don't lie. We know that there are additional deaths. And by and large, that argument has also been misused where people, oh, well, he, he actually died of a heart attack, but it, COVID was a contributing factor, so they counted it as COVID. Yeah, if, if 
I mean, there are like, oh, well, he technically died of asthma, but he had COVID, which induced a, you know, a, a fatal asthma attack. I mean, I've heard those arguments misused many times as well. So if we want to use anecdotal arguments. But when it's coming out of Dr. Burke's own mouth, I mean, that's what I also. Yeah, I've, heard, I've heard doctors also argue the, the, the opposite, saying that that's been misconstrued. But Dr. Burke's is like number two to Fauci as far as being America's doctor. It's not like a nobody. But you're, are you arguing that excess mortality deaths aren't really there because Dr. Brick said something? Uh, no, she's saying that every death, every, anyone, period, who dies that was COVID positive, regardless yeah, so that, of the death, is counted as a COVID death. Right. Out, and that would line up with... All of the extra deaths we've seen above what we should anticipate for saying, those aren't there because some COVID deaths are getting misreported. Dude, um, I mean, I'm not saying nobody's ever died of COVID, if that's what you're asking. Yeah, but we're okay. we're saying that the number is accurate because of the number of excess deaths in 2020 versus previous years. Even if we're all wasn't there less deaths total in the United States in 2020 no. than there was in 2019? No, of all causes, not just from deaths. a virus. No, you can you can it's go back on true. the CDC site and actually check their their uh, deaths. I'd have to look at that. I was looking at that uh, months ago. So, but at the yeah, time, I think we were very on very excellent modeling on on death forecasts. We know mortality rates pretty good. Um, so, what what do you guys know about PCR testing? Then, what's your concern with PCR testing? Well, it was a little weird that the day Biden got inaugurated, the, the WHO made new guidelines on how to. <laughs> make sure you're not getting false positives with PCR because uh, like I got a clip here of Dr. Fauci saying, if you go above 30 to 35 cycles, especially 35 cycles, the PCR test is almost always going to give a false positive. And uh, they were cranking it up to 35, sometimes 40 cycles on a lot of these PCR tests, uh, which in my opinion caused to, in a lot of doctors' opinions caused a huge increase in false positives. Uh, but then the inventor of the PCR test himself, um, what's that guy's name? Uh, Kerry Mullins, I believe, invented the PCR test. He said that, yeah, it's totally useless above 30 cycles and that Fauci, I think his own words were Fauci is an idiot and he doesn't know what he's talking about. And he lies to the American public's face constantly. And that's the creative inventor of the PCR test. Uh, I just, the PCR test is u being used, it seems like, to crank up the numbers to their advantage whenever they want to uh, do a lockdown. Well, we've only had one lockdown, so... My wife got a false negative. Well, the UK's back negative. locked down. Uh, a false so, negative, yeah. Well, yeah, false negative <laughs> rates um, are actually rather high on these PCR tests. Um, you're more likely to get a false negative early uh, in, vi in the uh, virus than uh, later when you actually have a higher viral load. So I'm trying to get info on the... Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't disagree that, you know, people are, people are suffering as a result of, you know, us going through a year of basically half-assed lockdowns. Um, oh, the wealth you know, transfer has been their, insane because of this. Yeah. Pe people have lost their businesses. Uh, people who, you know, lost their jobs, aren't able to survive. I feel like this is one of those things that you just can't half-ass. Um, you either do it right or you don't. I, I don't know. I, I, it doesn't seem like there really is a middle ground. I, the government could have given support to people 
that needed it to be able to have an actual lockdown like some other countries did and, uh, you know, actually get a better handle on it. And I feel like we just kind of drug it out over the last year and we've done miserably compared to other countries. And, and we can't deny the impact on the healthcare system either. I mean, Los Angeles, they're 100 percent. I think, of course, the hospitals are going to lie. Struggling. I mean, uh, we nurses are being paid two, three times the standard hourly rate because they cannot get enough nurses over to these high hotspot areas. So we know that there is a significant impact when COVID hits. Oh, and I, when we had the spike in Columbus, I, I personally, um, I was doing a, a, cause I work in telecom. So I was doing a service call for a guy downtown, um, who I don't know what his job was. He was on a conference call in the other room while I was kind of working, uh, on his internet service in the other room, but hearing that call where they were just desperately trying to grapple with the influx of patients. Um, I, I remember for some reason, one of the things that really stood out was one of the women on the call at some point, them just trying to coordinate everything. It got quiet. And she said, man, this is just a mess. Um, like it's, they're desperately trying to cope with, uh, you know, the circumstances that they're in. These people don't doubt that it's real. And this guy was you don't want to hear my opinion taking on this. all of the precautions. What? <laughs> yeah, that's a this is gonna open up a forty five minute conversation, but I'll avoid the most controversial parts of what I'm thinking. Um I know a lot of people in that work in hospitals and clinics and they and I, they are having to cut people because the hospitals are so empty. Yeah, uh, my my grandpa. Uh, no, no, no. I I actually talked to a nurse who lost her job because the hospital didn't have the funding, even as desperate as they were. Yeah, and my grandpa. And they're and short-staffed, it, like severely short-staffed. Those 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 overshot numbers start to make sense once you start thinking about um, finances and having an ICU overfilled and having all hands on deck. You're using all of. Of course, I do live options. in a city. So maybe my my experience is different than yours. I'm not sure where exactly you live, but it's yeah, it's a city, but not like a. It's not like a you know Nashville. It's like mm-hmm. right, yeah, right I live below in that Columbus, too. which is yeah. Well, Columbus, yeah, I that's got a big an city. Interesting thought. I want to run by you guys because I know we're we're winding up here, and I know I'm not going to get yeah. the chance to ask. Yeah, go ahead. We are kind of. I I noticed something a while ago, and it's kind of made me think why maybe. There has been a fairly decent amount of people that are doctors and, and medical experts that have leaned in that op, that oppositional way against kind of the more, the majority thought perhaps in the medical world. And here's, here's my theory and here's my idea about it because I know a few doctors that are kind of woo woo as fuck. I've met doctors that they don't agree with kind of the mainstream views on stuff. I take my son to um, an eye doctor that does not do thing, you know, doesn't dilate the pupils, so on and so forth. Because I am certain, I'm certain, I've dealt with my child over and over again, attempting, you know, a a three-year-old's version of fucking eye exam my my ADHD ridden three year old trying to give him an eye exam with dilated pupils uh, it's not gonna happen god damn it and then when you give him glasses that 
are far beyond my prescription or my do- my wife's. Meh. Okay, so I take my I take my son to a woo woo eye doctor. Okay, <laughs> that's that's the point in that. But here's the thing: back when, back when, uh, in 2018, and this is really strange that it worked out this way. Back in 2018, Trump passed a bill called the Right to Try. I speculate that the majority of people who are going to be the most app and they're going to push for the most, uh, they're going to lobby the legislation for uh, experimental forms of um, help for terminal illness are going to be doctors that are kind of out on the fringe. I'm not saying they're all bad people. I'm not saying they're they're deluded exactly, but fringe yeah. doctors are probably going to be the people who lobbied that bill. More so than anyone, and I've had people disagree with me. I've had medical professionals disagree with me on that. Well, we um, we need people on it, the fringes just as much as we need people on the uh, quote unquote mainstream. Totally, 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 all for I'm all for it. But Trump gained a lot of momentum in the the medical field because of that. Not only that, Trump's uh, HHS was a CEO for a huge medical company. And it appears to me that maybe there's some kind of corporate war going on in uh, the pharmaceutical world. Oh, for sure. So, uh, even Pfizer and Moderna have been funding hit pieces against each other in the media because it's all a big. I mean, well, this is a trillion dollar vaccine deal that we're doing once this fully rolls out. Look who Pfizer's linked up with. Start start hunting down the other companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, take a look at Upjohn. Uh, uh, one of the doctors that's in Plandemic 2 worked for Upjohn for a long period of time. Upjohn is now owned by Pfizer. Okay, there's there's a lot of there's uh you know there's there's a lot of things. If we would maybe look in the other direction and look at where Trump is pouring all of the medical stuff into, there's positioning going on and corporate pe- corporate businessmen like Donald Trump are going to look out for their best interests and the interest of those that they need to schmooze and kiss the asses of. Yeah, and that's not just a so right-wing think, thing. That's uh, Clinton, Obama, Biden-type schmoozing as well. I, Trump is I, just as I guilty of that. I agree. Yeah. yeah, and so... Obama I, was the sweetheart of the pharmaceutical industry. Well, I think Trump downplayed everything on purpose because it... Honestly, I bet it led to the anti you know the antidepressant world and the money in antidepressants to skyrocket. I started antidepressants in 2019. I'm not taking them my entire life. And uh, it makes sense. And you know what else? They're a fucking bitch to get off of. Yeah. So, before we just blatantly punch the left-sided media in the face, be willing to swing at the right with oh, every Fox News jab. is just as bad. Um, well, who's the number out of mine? Who's the number one funder of cable news and in a lot of cases like New York Times type stuff, especially cable news on the right and the left? By far, I'm the sure biggest advertising dollar is coming from pharmaceutical companies. And we didn't even really talk about hydroxychloroquine, sure. but 
there's a reason that was universally attacked by the left and the right mainstream. And it's because the pharmacy, it's out of patent. So it's like a dollar or two a day. And the pharmaceutical companies are not going to make any money off of that. That's an interesting thought, but... That's going to take uh, us into a whole other hour. It's out, of, it's out of patent. It's out of patent. I wonder what the stocks in it would be for the companies that are coming up because uh, here's the thing. This is what you got to understand about Trump. I watched him uh, do a little meet and greet in Cookville, okay? And there's video footage of it. And he's at a firehouse. And he's kind of like, you can firehouse tell he's patient. No, he's in a like... He's, oh, damn. He's, he was visiting... Like the fire chiefs and stuff, because there was a bunch of tornadoes that went on. That I could go into a twenty-minute fucking spiel about that and how fucking ridiculous it was. But this video footage, you can see him. Firehouse landscaping. No, no (laughs) actual firemen. Okay, fire department, Cookville Fire Department. So he is there, and you see this footage, and he obviously looks like he's ready to get the fuck out. Like he's. (laughs) You can tell, you can hear the impatience in his fucking voice. And he starts taking pieces of paper, blank pieces of paper, and just signing it and goes, here you go, buddy. Sell that on eBay. You'll get $10,000. Sell it on eBay uh, today. How can you not I'm love not this joking. Dude. He's so funny. No. No. Uh. He's a piece of shit, man. I don't love him. I love to hate him. Yeah. And, th- and that's so many what, people are uh, not going to know what to do in the media, especially with that Trump. They're like, oh, I'm turning right gonna... on Biden. I'm I'm ready to just to start attacking Biden. <laughs> Let's being left do and it. Left. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Chris, um, thank you for joining us. It was actually a lot of fun talking to you. I had fun. Um, you guys got to come on yeah. my show. Come on, Abs and Six Pack. Oh, we got to come. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, it obligatory now. That it's was, def- uh, that I was, was say, Chris from. Uh, Oh, no, go, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, it's definitely a lot goofier than this. Um, a lot of clips, a lot of, a lot of, oh, yeah. uh, like, er, like morning radio kind of sound effect type shenanigans. Um, but yeah, you guys come on there. And if it's cool with, uh, we have to do that soon, but if it's cool with you, I can post this on my end and link to analyze yeah. and, uh, make yeah, it a yeah. swapcast type do. Cool. Yeah, That'd be awesome, you. man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah uh, do you want me to, you. yeah, did again, that was Chris from abs in a six pack, uh, that was a lot of fun. Uh, hopefully, we'll we'll talk again in the future. Um, for everybody else, thanks for joining us. That was a really fun episode. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Chris. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. Peace, hey guys. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You're sure of it? Because people are listening really closely to this. uh, Right now, people should not be walking. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel 
a little bit better, and it might even block a, a droplet, but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. And often, there are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask, and they keep touching their face. And can you get some schmutz sort of staying inside there? Of course, of course. But when you think masks, you should think of healthcare providers needing them and people who are ill. What about a month or so or two or three ago when people were saying, you don't really need to wear a mask? Well, the reason for that is that we were concerned, the public health community, and many people were saying this, were concerned that it was at a time when personal protective equipment, including the N95 masks, and the surgical masks were in very short supply. And we wanted to make sure that the people, namely the healthcare workers, who were brave enough to put themselves in a harm way to take care of people who you know were infected with the coronavirus and the danger of them getting infected, we did not want them to be without the equipment that they needed. So there was not enthusiasm about going out and everybody buying a mask or getting a mask. We were afraid that that would deter away from the people who really needed it. Now we have masks. We know that you don't need an N95 if you're a person, ordinary person in the street. We also know that simple cloth coverings that many people have can work as well as a mask in many cases. So right now, unequivocally, the recommendation is When you're out there, particularly if you're in a situation where there's active infection, keep the distance physically and wear a mask. So although there appear to be some contradiction of you were saying this then and why you're saying this now, actually the circumstances have changed. That's the reason why. Let's talk about uh, some of the solutions in terms of, uh, of coronavirus. You acknowledged to The New York Times that you've moved the goalposts in terms of what it would take to reach so-called herd immunity in the United States. Here's what you said. You said when polls said about when polls said only about half of all Americans would take a vaccine, I was saying herd immunity would take 70 to 75 percent. Then when newer surveys said 60 percent or more would take it, I thought I can nudge this up a bit. So I went to 80, 85. And then you go on to say that it may be as high as 90 percent. So my question is, why weren't you straight with the American people about this to begin with? No, no, actually, Dana, I don't think it can be interpreted as being straight or not. We have to realize that we have to be humble and realize what we don't know. These are pure estimates and the calculations that I made, 70, 75 percent, it's a range. The range is going to be somewhere between 70 and 85 percent. The reason I first started saying 70, 75 I brought it up. So he's lying because he first started saying 60 to 70. So now he's actually, again, trying to bullshit you by saying he started by saying 70 to 75, which he didn't. He started by saying 60 to 70. So he's even lying in his admittal of lying. This is the guy in charge of our health care. What is it? What, what is it about humanity that, that, that it wants to go to all the details and stuff and listen, you know, these guys like Fauci get up there and start talking, you know, he doesn't know anything really about anything. And I'd say that to his face, nothing. The man thinks you can take a blood sample and stick it in an electron microscope and if it's got a virus in there, you'll know it. He doesn't understand electron microscopy and he doesn't understand medicine. And he, doesn't, he should not be in a position like he's in. Most of those guys up there on the top are just total administrative people and they don't know anything about what's going on at the bottom. You know, those guys, 
have got an agenda, which is not what we would like them to have, being that we pay for them to take care of our health in some way. They've got a personal kind of agenda. They make up their own rules as they go. They change them when they want to. And they smugly, like Tony Fauci, does not mind going on television in front of the people who pay his salary and lie directly into the camera. You can't expect the sheep to really respect the best and the brightest. They don't know the difference, really. I mean, I, I like humans, don't, don't get me wrong, but basically there is a, there is a, there's a vast, the vast majority of them do not possess the, the ability to judge who is and who isn't a really good scientist. I mean, that's a problem, that's a main problem actually with science, I'd say, in this century, because science is being judged by people, funding is being done by people who don't understand it. Okay, who do we trust? Fauci? Fauci doesn't know enough to, you know. If Fauci wants to get on television with somebody who knows a little bit about this stuff and debate him, he could easily do it because he's been asked. The scientific evidence is what needs to drive us, and we appreciate the fears of the American people, but we don't want to have policy that would have negative unintended consequences. That's actually fairly reasonable. But that's a quote from 2014 when he was talking about whether or not we should quarantine for Ebola. Another interesting quote of Anthony S. Fauci, MD Director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, that the CIA forgot to scrub from history is when he said that there is no doubt that Donald J. Trump, President of the United States, will be confronted with a surprise infectious disease outbreak during his presidency. He likely said while rubbing his hands together and then cackling to the sky for several minutes. When questioned about concerns for the future Trump administration, Fauci reportedly said that there was the potential for a new influenza pandemic and outbreaks of diseases that are not yet on anyone's radar. It's the issue of pandemic uh, preparedness. And if there's one message that I want to leave with you today based on my experience, and you'll see that in a moment, is that there is no question that there will be a challenge to the coming administration in the arena of infectious diseases, both chronic infectious diseases in the sense of already ongoing disease, and we have certainly a large burden of that, but also there will be a surprise outbreak. Yes, the same Dr. Fauci who, according to this WikiLeaks email, loves Hillary Clinton. When police in Cortez, Colorado, found 35-year-old Sebastian Yellow in their city park on May 4th, coroner George Devers quickly determined what killed the man. It wasn't COVID. It was alcohol toxicity. Yes, he did have COVID, but that is not what took his life. In fact, Yellow's alcohol level was 0.55, nearly double the amount that's fatal. So he literally drank himself to death. Yes, exactly. Devers tested Yellow for COVID-19 after his death, and the test was positive. The coroner said he was surprised to see the state then show COVID deaths in Montezuma County go from two to three, with Sebastian Yellow's counting as number three. Before the death certificate was signed, uh, they had already listed it as a COVID death before the death certificate was even signed. Deaver said he's been trying to get the state health department to explain how a case of fatal alcohol poisoning was classified as a COVID death. And they should have to be recording the same way that I do. They have to go off the truth and the facts and list it as such. It's not the first time the state health department has come under fire for reclassifying deaths as COVID fatalities. Last month, 
A CBS4 investigation found attending physicians at this centennial nursing home ruled three deaths were not related to coronavirus. But since the residents had tested positive for COVID-19, the state then listed them as coronavirus deaths. There are other countries that if you had a pre-existing condition, and let's say the virus caused you to go to the ICU and then have a heart or kidney problem, some countries are recording that as a heart issue or a kidney issue and not a COVID-19 death. Um, right now, we're still recording it. And we'll, I mean, the great thing about having forms that come in and a form that has the ability to market as COVID-19 infection, the intent is right now that those, if someone dies with COVID-19, we are counting that as a COVID-19 death. Are you, can you be sure? I mean, you hear from coroners that that's not necessarily the case. Are, are you sure? How can you be confident about that? And is there any concern that it skews the data that you're trying to collect in terms of projections and, and things like that? Well, I think that would apply more to rural areas that may not have the same level of testing. But I, I, I am pretty confident in New York City yeah. and New Jersey and places that have these large outbreaks and COVID-only hospitals. I can tell you they are testing. Um, New York and New Jersey together have, uh, by proportion, are testing extraordinary well as Washington State and Louisiana. So I don't see that there's been a barrier in testing to diagnosis.